Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 24 on Lies. And uh, sometimes little gems come out of private conversations. And uh, while Jang Soon Woo's erotic drama is pretty damn serious, if we would have had a lane distributor wanting to cash in on the sexiness of it all, it will go something like this in the words of Paul Quinn, like the, like the Grindhouse tagline. Cute girl with a 2 by 4 and an attitude. What's not to like? Yeah, I didn't know you were going to quote me on that. <laughs> that was also that, that was brilliant. Completely throwaway sitting in front of the TV last night. Like, so you could have had like a trailer with like uh, added uh, scratches and stuff and like, cute girl with a 2 by 4 and an attitude. Lies! <laughs> there you go, you know. Like machete. <laughs> it doesn't even come close to summing it up, but it kind of works. All right. But uh, what it all means in all seriousness, and it is more serious than that, is that I, Kenobi, and Hank Gold Celluloid's Paul Quinn are going to take you back to the controversy of this uh, little film, uh, Lies, and uh, all the hoopla that it caused in 1989, uh, rather 1999, both at the written and film stage. So uh, we'll get to it. Uh, but first of all, some contact information and this is what's korean cinema on the podcast on fire network we are available on podcastonfire.com plenty of choices uh, over there we do shows on hong kong movies japanese movies uh, in this case korean movies of course and even uh, ninja action cinema so make your choices over there check out the bonus episodes section as well email us if you have any questions or feedback podcastonfire at googlemail.com you can also follow us to social media via the handy buttons at the top of our page. Our Facebook presence is, uh, you can reach it via that button, as well as our Twitter, as well as our iTunes feed as well. And if you want your podcasts uh, delivered that way, you can rate and subscribe to it and even leave a small written comment. We would love to hear from you, uh, Korean cinema fans or Hong Kong cinema fans or what have you. And uh, you can also reach Stitcher Radio via one of those buttons. Uh, that's where you can stream the shows on this network and you can do that through their website presence but they also have applications available on the apple app store and google play for your convenience and uh, i write about uh, mainly hong kong movies and taiwanese movies over at sogoodreviews.com various genres including ninja more adult stuff uh, gritty new wave stuff from hong kong but uh, plentiful of genres and that's sogoodreviews.com and my video hub where i do select video reviews of my work is sleazykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews time for you to plug your stuff sir hangul celluloid korean cinema movie review website supreme as you call it right of course um yeah i'm paul i run hangulcelluloid.com my focus is korean film korean film korean film the site covers interviews reviews but only Korean film. That's my whole thing. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hangul Celluloid. You can find me on Twitter at Twitter, at, at, excuse me, at Hangul Celluloid. Go to the site at hangulcelluloid.com. Have a hook about it and see what you find. Mm-hmm. And including a review of Lies. And uh, we got a few sections coming up here, as always, before the actual review. And uh, those uh, timestamps uh, are written in the uh, show posts. And those should turn up in your podcast app as well. So if you want to jump ahead to the review, for instance, you can do that by following those uh, timestamps. But uh, first of all, we'll talk a little off, or a lot off. I'll listen mainly because I have no idea how much controversy this caused. This, uh, the impact of... Uh, the novel in terms of controversy but we'll get to the movie as well but we'll talk of uh, the novel a little bit first mixed with biographical notes on its author Jang Jung Il 
this will be followed uh, with a biography on our director Jang Soon Woo, and we mix in talks of the controversy surrounding the film Lies, the adaptation of the novel, and we conclude with a review of the film. But uh, let's uh, get into it. Uh, Lies from 1999, and the plot from Paul's review of the film goes as follows. Uh, Y, the letter Y, played by Kim Tae Jong, is an 18-year-old the 18-year-old virgin who is determined to lose her virginity to a man of her choosing rather than risk being raped as both her sisters were before they reached 20. Cheery stuff, listeners. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she therefore begins to have phone sex with a 38-year-old married man known only as Jay, the letter J, played by actor Lee Sang-hyun, which quickly leads to an in-person sexual relationship as their illicit encounters become longer and more frequent and their carnal pursuits more extreme, Jay convinces Y to try a fetish with, with which he is rather obsessed, and thus some S&M, spanking, whipping, and eventually beating is added to their sexual marathons. Uh, but to what extremes are they ultimately prepared to go? And how will the reactions of their families and friends affect their relationship and the actions they choose to take? Let's uh, get into the background of it all and uh, let's listen soon to Paul uh, break it all down for us. Uh, a controversial film, but prior also a controversial novel by Jang Jung-il. It was published in 1996 and it certainly didn't fly under the radar of authorities as it's said to have been banned immediately after publication and it led to a prison sentence for the novelist lasting a few months. So we got to set up proper context here. What in a fictional work in 1996 can be so upsetting and heinous that it lands you life behind bars for a few months? Or, or was it, you know, the author showcasing some kind of defiance and not owning up to to uh, to his uh, sins or whatever? Like, uh, Philistine, what was going on here? Jang, for years, constantly wrote about minorities that were not the norm you know if you look at lies for example the whole sadomasochism the old man the young woman he's constantly flown in the face of of everything that the powers that be just don't like you talking about even up to the 90s they were still at the marriage will save korea anything outside the norm lesbianism, gayness, odd fetishes, not good, not allowed, they'll bring down Korea. They've constantly done this. So everything he did just hit the wrong buttons left, right and center. And as far as I can gather, when he got imprisoned for lies, it was really just the the straw that broke the camel's back, really. He'd been head in that way for a while. Regardless if he was labeled a pornographer or not, or not is that, I mean... I'm not trying to be funny or immature, but really in such modern times, based, based on fictional work, you put people behind bars? Totally. I know, you know, if you look at the cinematic version of Lies and the couple of films that came before and the couple of films that came after, you know, the, the media ratings board, the powers that be, talked about it being an affront to humanity etc, etc. They, they just, they hate this stuff. They've always hated this stuff. If you look at gay cinema in Korea, for years there was nothing. They weren't allowed, and anything that was brought out was just banned, end of. And it's only been very recently that things have started to shift, and it, it is really recent. Can you write a novel like Lies in 2016, you think? 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think you can get away with it now, but maybe you'd only have been able to get away with it for the last five or six years. I mean, it's been, it's that recent. And uh, let's uh, move on a little bit to a specific uh, biographical notes on Jiang Jung-il, uh, born in 1962 and started his literary career in 1994 with several of his poems uh, being published at the time. And the thread of uh, sadomasochism was quickly picked up uh, by readers and critics and someone even labeled him a masochistic terrorist. <laughs> like uh, maybe the government themselves, who knows? Yeah, quite likely. Uh, but the establishment did accept Jiang in several ways, including uh, an award given to his play Interior. Is it Interior or Inferior? Interior Drama. Yeah. And his poetry collection, A Meditation on Hamburger, won a literature prize. Uh, so he was getting a public profile as the career took off. And uh, Jiang is also known to obsess over and store encyclopedic knowledge of poetry, music, and drama. So he's, uh, he's into culture. Like you read about. I mean, that's my curious question to you. Is your interest in Korean cinema that extensive that you even pre-knowing of Lies? I mean, I know you watched, started watching Korean cinema after Lies was released, but do you still like, uh, have any, do you have an interest in, in novel, novels and novelists as such? Or that sort of starts with seeing the movie and then you start to work yourself out? A few years ago, it would have been that case. I mean, I came to know Jang simply because he was his name was linked to lies and lies from my point of view all the talk about it all the the hype meant i had to see it therefore i found out that he had written the story etc cetera, etc cetera. um since then i'll now almost search things out search certain writers out because they've been used or they're likely to be used so it's sort of moved to the point where i've now read a lot of things that i haven't seen the films of and i'm planning to see the films of which wouldn't have been the case a few years ago um, but cer- certainly when lies came out it was lies as a film that brought me to him and it was actually inadvertent that i found out that jang sun woo the director was linked with it because I'd find him from another film that we'll talk about a bit later. And uh, we'll move all over to the slight biography there is on Jiang Soon Woo, the director of Lies, and he's born in 1952 and quoted by Paolo Bertolin, whose interview with him we'll link to, as one of the most relevant and distinctive voices in contemporary Korean cinema. Uh, Jiang did not have a formal film education, but acted in theater productions and wrote his own plays as well. And the film just kind of jumped at him, I guess, as a creative tool uh, to pursue. And, uh, you know, while there's no, you know, what happened subsequently, there's no other details given by the man in that interview or research. But uh, in 1980, for unknown reasons, you know, un- unknown political reasons, uh, Jiang was in prison. Uh, sorry, yeah, Jiang was imprisoned for, for a brief time. So, so some kind of controversy stirred up via via the first uh, like steps into filmmaking or cultural uh, cultural contributions in general but um like they're, they're linked uh, the novelist and the director in a way based on that alone uh, but filmmaking was calling ultimately and Jung started his career as an assistant director as many do and uh, heading into an era where censorship was strict and audience attendance wasn't at its peak and uh, melodrama was the safe easy way in we're talking you know 70s most likely Jung uh, still had the instinct to want to make movies using his voice 
and uh, you know even more so later that was possible once restrictions were lifted and um, it this was possibly something like his voice that Jung put into his 1986 debut Soul Jesus. So I guess that's a question. Anything notable and anything to say about his um, debut movie if um, if it's available and uh, written about? Um, his movie is available again online. I think as far as I'm aware, it's on Vimeo somewhere if you do a search on it you may have to look for soul emperor rather than soul jesus which was kind of they were happier with it being released with that translation rather than the whole jesus thing although the character in it is he's a mental head case and he thinks he's jesus and he travels to soul befriends a child falls in love gets put back in a mental institution but the child's safe and the woman takes the child blah 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 blah. it's a really interesting film and it sort of says a lot about what he was going to head towards because he was always characters on the edge of society injustices in society and why you should be allowed to do whatever you feel is right i mean he even there are a few of other movies but there's one that we'll talk about timeless bottomless which is also known as more often as bad movie it sounds like a spoof movie like uh... it it, it, it kind of does but it says a lot about lies in fact you know the two characters are in it are called r and j i think they're just again letters they form a relationship they become sexual she betrays him he goes back to his family decides he hates them she gets back in touch with him and the question becomes whether she's going to betray him again it's it's all very much of a similar deal to what he did in lies lies is very much more introverted i guess it's just the two people outside of everything but from from the very start of his thing, he's been, you know, this is wrong in society. We should be allowed to do this. We are, we have a right to do this. He's hugely important, whether you can find his stuff or not. Yeah, I suppose so. But it, but it is also said that he started to get good critical notices abroad, uh, even early in his career. So, like, what, what movie or movies would you argue generated the buzz? Uh, you know, uh, or, or did it all start with lies, uh, in, as a matter of fact? Lies really was the the big thing that pushed people to go back and check his stuff. But Soul Jesus was pretty famous in its time. The, there's a film called The Road to the Racetrack, which is about, again, two characters, R and whatever, um, et cetera, et cetera, moving to France, sexual liaisons. It was probably before Lies, one of his most famous Another film, A Petal, which mixes animation with live action, which is it's almost a documentary about a girl that was involved in the Guangzhou uprising and how it affects her life, etc., etc. It's all really social, social, social. This is wrong. Why can't we do what we do? If I had to choose any, I'd say if you can find Soul Jesus, check it out. Road to the Racetrack's pretty easy to find bad movie which isn't a bad movie actually and a petal 
which was I think 90, 96, 97, he's, he's heading with those. Um, the one thing I'd say avoid was his last film, Resurrection of the Little Match Girl, because it's terrible, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I, I even knew that it wasn't uh, held in high regard by fans and stuff like that. So uh, I read some quotes from him and it sort of matches what you were telling uh, telling me right now. So I think it's, it's, it's nice to let his voice... Uh, out a little bit on on the show and I, I don't know if it's always reflected in his filmmaker but in an interview he was talking about his different methods of communicating uh, you know whether stylishly or not saying the following quote I think that always trying different experiences is a sort of journey that leads you to becoming something different uh, to evolve into a different human being I also try different styles because my main concern is to speak to audiences about contemporary issues that require specifically adapted languages and means. So there you go. You were talking about animation as well and things like that. So do you think that's a you know fair? You know, have you seen that in his filmmaking? That that different kind of approach, kind of thing. Very much so. It's sort of it's it sums him up. And he actually at the start of Lies, he, he does a little chat is that him on the screen uh, talking about his script that's that's him on the screen and i was almost disappointed by that because he didn't say the things that you wanted him to say he's just well it's about obsession and stuff and you know and they just sort of go terrific it doesn't sum him up your quote much more does he was important he had a lot to say and uh, yeah, had a lot to say because it's not active anymore, as we'll get to. Um, you know, talking of the con- controversy his movie stirred up, you know, Jiang singles out Road to the Racetrack yeah, quite distinctly himself in that interview. But admittedly, he says all movies except the resurrection of Little Match Girl had something, you know, noticeable baked into it that doesn't mm. sit well with powers that be. And it certainly sounds uh, like it's always edgy material but not uh, this little immature schoolboy trying to show tits on screen or anything he always yeah, seems yeah. to say want to say something but uh, i guess the question is what is that something i mean is the presentation of things in these movies that stir up con- controversy is it in your face critical or is this can you go about it in a subtle way as well uh, i mean for lies it's obviously in your face considering how sexually explicit it is but it's also a challenging drama at the same time so, and and you've summed up what he does. You know, it it is pretty much in your face, but challenging at the same time. Um, if you look at that bad movie or timeless, bottomless, when you look at all the characters, they're they're not actors. They're sort of real kids, and some of it's obviously staged. Some of it doesn't seem to be, and it's bad kids on the streets of Seoul facing up to you know, oh, there's economic prosperity everybody's happy except these kids because they're just they're bad kids they're they're filmed going around you know beating people up causing trouble there's an oral sex scene that i would almost worry wasn't as made up as it was supposed to be um he's he's massively in your face and you can sort of in hindsight you can say well it's it's not really any wonder he ended up in jail for a time because whoa he's he's incredibly controversial and i think lies is his most accessible version of that i mean what was it specifically about um uh, timeless bottomless that got him into trouble with uh censorship censorship what is what was it that it was too too rude, or was it just too critical? Because it sounds more like a social commentary, uh, uh, like a like a wide uh, social commentary. 
Well, it is kind of a social commentary, but it's it's so anti-establishment. I mean, he follows these these bad kids as they they go and do things that you know the girls giggle after you know pushing people off bikes. They they end up in a break dancing contest, beating people up as they go. They're drunk half the time. They steal from people, et cetera, et cetera. And this is all meant to be, this is what happens in Korea underneath the we're all happy, we're all prosperous, we're all a, a wonderful country. It's really, really twisted. And it's a dangerous thing to say when you're letting the powers that be watch your movies. It seems like you're speaking of it that at least the movies got out somewhat complete, meaning they weren't edited and butchered before release uh, i mean uh, is that the case where at least they got through uncut but maybe they weren't seen very widely in korea that's pretty much it up until lies lies came at i guess both a good time and a bad time there was a film released the year before called yellow hair mm-hmm. which was about two girls who were half lesbian half just sexually voracious and it was banned i've used the quote before it was said to be an affront to humanity. They panned it completely. It was banned for years. Lies came out a year later, and, oh, we've got another sidestep from normality. We've got fetishes, and it was banned, I think, three times and only released as an 18 when it had been severely cut. And and and, and yet they got um, an uncut DVD release, though, in Korea. Eventually, but that came... The final, I guess, the stage of this story was a couple of years after Lies. There was a film called Yellow Flower that came out, which was, you know, your your erotic Jocelyn sort of thing. And it was banned, and the film distributor sued the media ratings board, saying that, well, why can you ban this? We're, we're allowed to say what we want. We're a democracy, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And the constitutional court actually said it was unconstitutional for the media ratings board to stop free speech and it was released uncut and subsequently that's when lies got an uncut dvd release because the film distributor had actually stood up in court and said you can't do this and the court agreed so a huge huge thing that came from really those three films yellow hair lies and yellow flower We'll get back uh, to lies and things like that. I'm sure there's some few more things to say about its uh, controversy. But uh, I have uh, uh, another quote from from Jang, you know, talking himself off that controversy and his approach to the topics. Uh, so, quote, in Korea, there are a lot of traditionally oriented ways of thinking, which means that there are a lot of prejudices against certain things. These things might become a sort of social pain in the sense that they provide painful situations for some people. I want to ask people whether they really think such things are right. If they are good uh, or whether instead we should try and change them and thus modify the way we look at the world. I think it's very important that everybody has his or her own different opinions and views of my films. Which is a perfect argument for that you should present art as it is, as we're not talking illegal films here or anything. Totally. So uh, that's a hard thing for a controversial filmmaker to get uh, through and argue, of course, and uh, clearly has encountered resistance. But as you just said, clearly powers that be have 
also agreed with the fact that this is uh, there's no reason to sort of stomp on this just because someone is uncomfortable. I think that quote as well is not only a really good quote in terms of one filmmaker's attempts at, at doing whatever. I think it's a huge quote in terms of the movement of Korean society as well. I mean, it, it hits the thing on the head. There, there were really traditional ideas that just would not die, regardless of the fact that people are people and people have their own opinions, their own thoughts, their own needs. It's films like Lies that almost underline that as society itself changes. I think it's a phenomenal quote. And, uh, you know, going back to Lies, I mean, um, you know, all this react uh, by the powers that be banning it and uh, it uh, getting an uncut release many years later. You know, we've sort of said it, I guess, between the lines, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Was uh, the reaction rational or totally irrational, considering where society may might have been at and what government was deeming society should be at? So, it Essentially, lies became lies of its hype. You know, this was a tiny film. How many people would have seen it if it hadn't been so controversially banned, how many people would have seen it if there hadn't been, I guess out of all those films, Lies is the most famous because it was banned three times within a number of months. They submitted it, it was banned, they cut stuff, it was banned. It it, it became bigger than the film itself. And as a, as a result, everybody wanted to see it and wanted to see how controversial it was. And when you see it, it's quite funny in parts. Yeah, it's controversial, but not in the way that it would have been if it hadn't been so pushed as being, this is disgusting, this is banned. You know, you know, it's certainly not the norm to feature in cinema. I mean, the stuff that you read about in the plot outline, it's very much present. Uh, and, uh, you know, no, barely any censorship board around the world. Uh, they're, they're becoming greater in number, but uh, they're bound to react to this kind of stuff. It always does. And it's not, it, it always happens. But it's, again, not the filmmakers trying to be naughty or anything. It's, for for my money's worth, this is telling a very common romantic, dramatic template but with this content this very adult content uh, which yeah, is uh, so. um but but it isn't uh cheap in it's uh like look at us we're so naughty like it, it isn't uh it isn't that but i guess it would they have run into automatic sense of trouble anyway because of the full front of nudity yeah pretty much and uh, it's not the only thing that's in there as we spoke of briefly last night there's there's a lot in there that almost today would still raise an eyebrow if you compare it to, I keep bringing it up, but Yellow Hair that was released the year before, yes, there was nudity, there was full frontal stuff, there were sex scenes. It was as visually explicit as lies, and it was banned, but in terms of the choices of what's shown, it wasn't anything anywhere near as controversial as Lies is. If Lies was made today and released today, it would still raise eyebrows. I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the depiction of the kinks at hand, they are pretty full on. Almost borderlining on hardcore pornography at points. Very much. As made, seems very um, method, in a way. Probably safe, but it uh, doesn't feel like artificial filmmaking at points. Uh, but then it all sort of ends, I guess, because the controversy at the very least, uh, because Jiang Soon Woo changed tack for 2002's Resurrection of the Little Match Girl, or, or Little Match Girl. Amping budget, commercialism, and the action factor. 
it didn't elevate Jang's status as it flopped distinctly. He expresses there was a problem getting audiences to accept it as commercialism. Uh, you know, audiences was, was a target there, but uh, he had trouble. You know, he, he, he saying he said he got criticized for making a big budget film that was personal and difficult. And you you said it, but we're still gonna put the context in place anyway. I knew that this wasn't considered a classic, but so many years down the line, is it in fact a good mixture of big, difficult, personal? and therefore doomed as a commercial film, or is it a super commercial film that's just empty? Resurrection of the Little Match Girl, at the, in my opinion, at the end of the day, is just a bad film. He tries, he's got a big budget. He tries to make a deeply involved, connected film that's so... It's a sci-fi film, right? Sci-fi action, yeah. It's essentially about a little match girl a girl who is homeless, wanders around Seoul trying to sell her matches. And then it turns out that she's actually the character in a PC game that another guy's playing. And it switches between reality and life in this game. He goes to take her to hospital as she's dying. And suddenly it turns out that that's part of the game. And if he takes her to hospital, he'll the it'll be game over. It switches so completely between what's real and what's not that you spend half the film thinking, where where are we? It's so involved. There are so many threads, so many characters that all are supposed to link together, but they just, it's painful. It's too intricate. It's too expansive. He tries too hard. I didn't notice anything that would make me think, oh, this is very personal to him. It seemed to me that he was trying to make a big budget movie that would would fit with the whole big sci-fi thing, and it just didn't work. It's a terrible film. And it sounds therefore like it wasn't a basic sort of sci-fi action, or it seems to want to be, want to be intelligent and maybe philosophical, but that just never panned out, really, and therefore audiences probably never responded. Totally. I, I, you know, off the top of my head, I would almost guarantee that half of the ones that did see it left the film thinking, what, the, what, what, what went on there? Where was that? What was she real? Was she not? I mean, it was just, it's so badly told, in my opinion. I think that's what failed it rather than anything else. And I mean, at that stage, Korean cinema had started to change anyway and him trying to fit in with a new type of cinema that wasn't his forte was just doomed to failure. And he talks of upcoming projects in the interview I've linked to, but as a a matter of fact, there's been no films since Match Girl. So, you know, what happened? Where is he? I mean, I'm surprised that there's not even been a small film since uh, 2002. So, you know, does anyone know? No one knows what's going on with him. I realize he said that he was planning this that and the other i think that was just him you know what every time you talk to a director you say so what are your plans and they'll say well i'm working on something and you know and they don't actually give anything away so whether they are or not you don't know as i say after 2000 you know we hit park chan we hit bong joon ho we hit kim ji-un korean cinema changed drastically with people that were stud that had studied abroad that brought Hollywood ideas, Western ideas into Korean cinema, it became much more violent and revengeful and not 
minorities and not what he was good at. I think he just found he didn't fit any anymore. And whether he didn't want to say what he'd been saying anymore or just felt that he couldn't, I don't know. I just think Korean cinema moved on and left him behind. Yeah, sometimes that happened. Either if someone is making too old-fashioned type of cinema and uh, or, or simply if the landscape doesn't allow for the very small, for investors to come forth to even make very small movies. I mean, I, I was uh, doing some research on... Uh, on, on uh, King Who, uh, director of uh, Touch of Zen, Dragon Inn, and yeah, yeah. where his car- career sort of faded was because he was making movies that were deemed a bit too old-fashioned for the evolving sort of action swordplay type of cinema. So Yeah, and I mean, in, in terms of Korean cinema, you can sort of say that if he'd been making anything after Resurrection of the Match Girl, he'd have no option but to make a small independent film. And once Park Chanuk and the like came in, with their big budgets and their big cinematography, et cetera, et cetera, there was no place for independence. For years, independent cinema has really had a hard time being made, being seen, and, you know, he's just going to lose from start to finish. Well, we uh, hopefully something will happen uh, eventually, because uh, there, there, there might be in a sort of a slot for that voice at some point in the future, who knows? So uh... Let's hope so. Very much so. Okay, let's move over to the review itself. And for my short opinion, uh, despite the explicit content, uh, again, this is not made for sensation and attention, it is quite a common romantic drama template and quite an interesting one at that. I was I was engaged. I'm going to do my negative things first in the review because there, there's some stylistic traits that it concerned itself with but thankfully dropped that i'll i'll, I'll get to but uh, you know just for the sake of a uh, discussion uh give me a bite-sized opinion of uh, lies i like lies i think it works as controversial drama and i think that's what it was meant to be i think it speaks of minorities regardless of whether they're minorities in society or minorities because of their sexual likes it scared me in terms of how much more explicit it is than films even a year before and films years after and i think that makes it as important as anything else there are always flaws there are a lot of things i don't like about it but there are a lot of things that i do and i think she is wonderful in it that's a performance and a half all right uh we'll get to those but uh, stylistically, I wasn't sure where it was going, and uh, I had my problems with it before it settled on its narrative structure and stylistic form. Because we see what I didn't know was uh, the director uh, talking of the movie, you know, uh, home video footage, and even the scene on the train as she goes to her first meeting seems to be shot on video or home video style, and then it's she seems to be talking to someone behind the camera and we hear a narrator we cut to much more vibrant looking uh, footage and it's sort of like settled into a style here you know and there are instances where a narrator comes on and the characters react to the narrator speaking to them so it's it's a device that's not used more than essentially the first few 10-20 minutes or whatever then some some hints at it later in the film but other than that it goes about its business straightforward but i wasn't sure about that device and i was sort of fearful that is it going to be a documentary at the same time because that's not needed if i wanted a documentary i would would have loved to watch a documentary instead about it because there's a scene where 
he talks with his actor, uh, you know, his main actress, and she talks of, uh, well, I'm a little scared, but I'll, I'll do the nudity. I mean, everybody will be dis- disappointed otherwise, and oh, I can't find any argument why that should belong in the film where we need to go outside of the film. And the reason it's dropped is, I don't know if he realized there was nothing to do with it, but thankfully it is dropped, because I didn't think that fit at all that... Uh, I don't know if it's meta per definition or not, but uh, going outside of the movie, uh, you know, breaking the fourth wall, not a good choice initially for the movie. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. You know, because he had an uh, otherwise engaging film brew in here, and uh, eventually it is a very engaging film. And uh, but uh, there's um, like I, I kept thinking of just because it was the only example I could think of. Uh, there's a Hong Kong movie called Center Stage, um, which is about it's a biopic of a silent movie actor as mixed with. Director Stanley Kwan talking to his uh, main actors about the movie. So you see Maggie Chung and Tony Leung and things like uh, people like that talking about the movie. And there's even staged staged footage of them shooting a scene in the movie, which is all like, come on, I, I, like I want a movie, not a documentary. So, but yeah. it sort of dropped. And as we, you know, see Y and J and them making a connection. So okay, we got a film here. Like, not a documentary, so okay, go on. <laughs> you know, you can have a loose documentary style, of course. That's fine for the movie. That's actually very non-intrusive, the documentary style. It seems to be intrusive because it's, they are shooting amidst real people as they uh, meet on the train station. It seems like people are all most bumping into the camera at one point. And so, but ultimately, I think that, that style is very non- non-intrusive. Or what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I again scratched my head to figure why he did those first scenes that don't really have a place, you know, and why he left it. If he changed his mind, why leave them in there? So I can't help feel that it was a deliberate thing. And whether he was, I don't know, at some stage saying, you know, this is fiction, we're making a film. This is how to explain the explicitness. I don't know. But I agree with you, it's sort of, it sets you off kilter and it's only after those scenes are gone that you can settle into what is a decent enough film. I like the fact that it is very almost docudrama, but he certainly, you don't need that scene on the train where she's talking about the fact that talking to Jay had met her wet and she looks at the guy next to her who's just sitting there. It just, it felt... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if I was in a movie at that point because they, they cut to that very vibrant, colorful footage of her sister at that point, uh, Worry. So it, it's, uh, it's struggled to get uh, you know, out of the gate, but never sort of dropped the ball or anything because, you know, when we get into one of many, and there's a good key point why there's many um, sexual encounters, it, it's amazing that they can be so sort of long running. In, and uncut and unflinching, and yet the movie moves quite well. I think it's a sort of a well-paced movie. They do share a passion for each other, it looks like. I mean, they do, we're talking like, you know, not young lovers, but lovers, you know, at, at the at the early stage of, of a relationship. But there's no blown in the wind or dissolves or visual trickery, just uncut real like too intrusive tongue kissing and uh, things like that but there is passion there and through a very rocky road there is they, they they take a liking to each other which is why i come back to that this is not that 
it, it's not the newest template out of a romantic drama genre. It is, when you break it down, very sexually explicit common movie. Um, so I'm glad that it wasn't going to be complicated and talk extensively about what all this beating and whipping means for society. Uh, maybe that's there, but I, I, it's just a story I'm looking at. Um, I, I didn't see any subtext that was meant to be picked up on, otherwise you're a fool. It's, uh, it's the story, and, uh, and it is funny because uh, there's subtle on-screen prompts during that first uh, sex scene. The first hole, the second hole, the third hole. Third it's like, hole. come on, come on, okay, okay. I guess that's a key question. Does it earn being this explicit does it make sense for the movie to have several sequences of this i mean the first sequence goes all out there's even unless i misunderstood it completely but there's even uh, anal sex portrayed which which from my point of view i i tried to rack my brains to think of other examples of that in korean <laughs> cinema you know all i can come up with is there are some sort of again Jilson era historical fictional dramas that imply it and hint at it and they can get away with a lot more in historical dramas because they can say yeah they look look what they did then but there's 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 nothing that's even close to lies that that i'm aware of i mean there's no mistake in either because they 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 are very upfront in the dialogue but but it's not like dialogue that Let's talk about anal sex now. It's just like dialogue between two raw people here, you know. Yeah, well, totally. That that are, are are pushing the acceptable to the point where when she's standing on the train and she says, "Now I know I love you, love me," because I I just you scratch your head and think, really? Well, 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 well. It's sort of uh, to me. It sort of makes sense because it's something they share. It, it, the whole the whole point is that. This is not a rape movie or anything like that. This is most of the scenes, except one really. They are in sync. They really are in sync and they want to sort of challenge themselves and push boundaries together. But they also, he wisely, you know, fills in exposition about their respective characters via after sex chit chat, which is not a bad idea to sort of just have some back and forth and, uh, you know, after that first initial sex scene. I guess the last sort of critical point I have about the style is when uh, she comes home, I guess it's the sister that beats her up and it's shot not on film, but on video akin to B-roll, like, a, a, you know, a separate documentarian catching yeah. the beating. And you see the fucking crew as well. Like, come on, like, drop oh, know, it, drop it. I like, it's, it doesn't make sense for the movie. It's a story. If I wanted to see behind the scenes... I would have watched a behind-the-scenes documentary. It might even be one on the DVD. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that scene in particular should have been cut as she was beaten up and then moved on rather than stepping behind because it worked as it was, you know? It worked really well as it was and her in tears, but then when you find out that she actually was in tears and uh, and I think that's why you put it in, just to say, look, look how real this is. Well, yeah, but you've just ruined it and made it unreal by doing that it is a pretentious choice and a bad choice really is but it doesn't kill the movie for other viewers it might actually because like fourth wall breaking here what's going on like i'm out uh, and i yeah, i guess i wouldn't blame you but uh, i was very much engaged in this conventional slash unconventional because of the 
acts they you know do yeah. to each other I, I, I was engaged i mean like breathless you open up with questionable questionable characteristics it seems like but then you build on that and this builds on this romantic template and i use that seriously in a, quite an accomplished way i think um, um i didn't uh it's not breathless but I, I just thought of breathless as i was making my notes because it starts in a reprehensible way you know you introduce a character that you're gonna like in the most reprehensible way um so so yeah you know where did the actors go post this i mean did any of these uh, two actors appear in anything after this or was this a career killer the only one i was able to find was the female actress the young girl um who went on to star in another two films and part of a tv series and then she disappeared you know it was a career that lasted three years now whether she i don't think it was a career ruiner because it was so many years before this was released i think maybe she did the whole traditional thing of getting married and moving away from acting as so many did maybe she just decided it wasn't for her or maybe she couldn't live with the fact she'd done lies i don't know she is good though. she is she is so good and it's such a shame that apart from a couple of things a couple of years later there's just nothing because she was talented she was she's one of the best things about the film yeah very much so like uh, it's not about like oh she's talented because she does nudity you know it's it's the whole portrayal of this character that's maturing but there's possible the issue of uh, like letting go too much because they are on shaky ground because if they have a mutual desire for for S&M they need to showcase like the utmost care and utmost sync together in order to evolve that. And there, there's many reasons why it's going to appear controversial in the eyes of outsiders. First of all, he's married. So, and second of all, she's of age, but she's younger. And there, there is... Much younger, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were talking 38 versus 18 as the movie opens. So uh, I have no problems watching this. Uh, I mean, it doesn't appear... Uh, like it's uh, too much for for me or anything. I know it's intense, but I, I could still like extract what the dramatic intent is there, and that they're them pushing boundaries together is about achieving the sink and hopefully not getting in over their head in terms of when the whipping starts and all of that. But uh, clearly, you don't know. But after a while, you clearly see that she is not like swimming in deep water because she says she enjoys and she says she enjoys being there for him you know mm. she can stand it and uh, and uh, you know she says like my ass is killing me but it feels so great and and the even like sweet things like them being hesitant to show public affection at first but slowly but surely are brave enough to do so like like, like they aren't like speaking like out in the open oh my god my ass is hurting so much but they are sweet together, and that falls into the romantic drama template. That there's a external threat that this might be sort of disrupted, and I think it it's accomplished for what for it attempts that, and I think it's uh, quite accomplished doing so. I, I was engaged actually. There's so many sex scenes, and there, there's a point later in the film where Jiang is uh, fast forwarding through it because. It seems to be running on empty, and that's also, I keep coming back to it, what the generic romantic structure could be like. You know, that yeah. you have to, 
you have to sort of evolve uh, what you're doing and uh, make sure you don't run on autopilot as too. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I keep banging on about it, but uh, you know, do you think it's uh, at all close to affecting as a romantic drama? Uh, I think it it it, it is. I, it affected me more than I thought it would. A huge part of life for me is actually the humor of it. The build from you know a, a tiny little twig to gently whip up to bigger pieces of wood to baseball bats to you know huge big what looks like a two by four at the end and the humor of them building and building and building and get more and more and more actually was what got me initially but i think their relationship in terms of a general romance it works as well as as you would hope it would i find it affecting i find I find both characters interesting, her more than him. It it does work on both levels, I think. There is genuine humor here. So some of the over-the-top stuff when they're like homeless and stuff towards the back end of the movie, a little bit unintentional hum, hum, humorous, I think. But the thing I loved that genuinely was when he, like during their, let's say, third or fourth encounter, pulls out this massive aluminum bag, you know, with his tools. It's almost cartoony, like in cartoons, yeah. you know, characters like have tiny pockets and they pull up a big thing out of their pockets. And it's, he'd prepped that, you know, I've got something. <laughs> and it's not like he has sex shop uh, items in there. It's items he's made, essentially. Like yeah. he took things, uh, hoses out of his garage and like uh, sanded down like pieces of wood. And th- that made me laugh, but I think somewhere in there they're having fun as two together as well, despite amping it up as they do. Yeah. And I think that's a realistic point because what they're doing is pretty. If if you look at it externally, sometimes if if people are into this, it's pretty damn amusing what what people do with each other. But so it's important to have fun with it too. You know, some of those sections are set to like quirky techno music as well. So you know, as he's making the new tools and things like that. So it's fun. It it, it can be fun, but um, you know, there's almost physical harm here, and it's important to tend to each other that way. And they do. I mean, uh, very much so, Lo- lovingly, in fact. You know, he gets uh, needs to be patched up, and she needs to be patched up, and all of that. So uh, maybe there's no use to speak of the scene, but it, because I have no real answer, I didn't stop and re-examine it. But there is a scene that is borderlining on: is that simulated, or are they having sex right now? Because we get a full view from behind of him in particular. And if that was choreographed, and they choreographed that very well because it looks very authentic what they're doing together. I'm severely hoping it was choreographed and well done. Because there's no reason for them to have sex for real. That's my point also, so I also hope that it was. Uh, but but because there's full view of him, uh, rather than like uh, what you expect out of a soft core scene. Totally. I mean, there, there are other scenes where there is sexual content or sexual acts, and if you actually look at them as I did last night, um, you can see that, you know, a head isn't quite in the correct place yeah, or yeah. or they're they're not merging in the right sort of height to each other, if you like, and it's obviously fake. So in terms of that, you would assume that was just a very lucky happenstance that it looks really well choreographed. And to the point where you question whether it is or not. They didn't, like, 
bounce on each other during that scene. So I think that they were pretty close to each other. So I think it was just like, you know, his junk was placed strategically very well. You know, it, uh, it where to a point where we see where no, no, they're not. They're not. They're probably not. Okay. And, and I always think that's a rather pretentious choice because there's no need for that in my mind. There, there, there are a couple of movies where that has apparently happened. There's like a Vincent Vincent Gallo, Christina Ricci movie. And there was that um, Gaspar Noe movie uh, like a year or two ago. The 3D porn movie he did in France. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's necessary for regular fiction movies. But... Uh, who am I to judge? I watch ninja movies. So. But, you know, I, t- I totally agree. Why why bother? If anybody wanted to see that real thing, they can go and find content that's actually deliberately that, can't they? Why, why, why do you need to see it in fiction? You know, as long as you... Yeah, there's nudity and lies, but it's about the story and about how they... You know, the humor of them having all these sexual encounters. You don't need real sex in a fictional drama you just don't exactly i agree i agree yeah i guess my final notes because yeah, we 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 don't want to spoil it all but uh, the the key question i guess which kept me going uh not to the point where it was affecting because it that doesn't go for you know the juggler and and trying to make us cry or anything but i was hoping that though despite the age difference and them you know essentially being homeless for a stretch that these two would find a sink because it seems like he wasn't getting any sink with his in his current marriage. He, he you know, his wife wasn't into the stuff he was, and uh, maybe that she's so young and lacking in experience isn't a bad recipe for two people to gain romantic and sexual sink. And I think that kept me going. And uh, you know, it certainly isn't uh, going for the you know fairy tale ending, but. Uh, it's interesting that the movie loads itself up, like loads the cinematic bag with this much stuff, and still comes off as a quite a fair to quite accomplished romantic drama. Uh, you know, so it's for a specific audience, of course, because it's not a date movie. Uh, and I think that speaks to a fair to quite pronounced strength that that's present in the movie. I think it's very accomplished and. There's good instincts in the filmmaker here, here eventually, you know, except those stylistic, uh, questionable stuff at the top. Uh, there, there's good instincts here because we're just w- witnessing a very loosely shot romantic drama. It's not attempting that much style post those stuff that we, that stuff that we criticized. So, so, so yeah, it's all interesting psychologically up until the end, I think. Um, so I guess that's my final note, really. So, um, do you want to say anything else? The last thing I, would like to say only occurred to me on a rewatch and you know I've seen this several times I've reviewed it etc cetera, etc cetera. when I was rewatching it the and this hopefully won't give any spoilers the very final scene Jay the male character says his wife found writing on his thigh mm-hmm. and his last words were and I began to lie and it just it hit me last night that I think as much as the romance, as much as the minorities, older, younger, getting together, et cetera, et cetera, I think the director wanted us at that point to go. So how much of what we've just watched was lies? How much were each character lying to the other? Was was the female friend of the young girl 
lying when she forgave her, etc., etc. And it made, it almost made me want to go back and watch sections again. I didn't, but I almost could have gone back to see how much of this is real in terms of what they're saying and how much is lies. And that could almost explain away that first bit that doesn't really work. I think you could find interesting things to pick out, but I think you'd still feel uh, a bit negative towards that section, if I'm being honest. I totally agree. But, you know, it just... All I am all I can do is talk from what I'm assuming, looking for what he was trying to say on top of everything else. And I think that may well be, but I could be completely wrong. Or he could have been putting that in to make them think, is that what I'm trying to say? I don't know. I think it's a very interesting conclusion and it adds to the film but as i say i'm completely just speaking off the top of my head really i think there's something there about that uh, because you he definitely just drops that on us at the end you know and then boom credits um so so yeah there's definitely something there and the the rewatch factor is fairly strong but maybe not immediately after because it is quite an assault of uh, like none of us are prudes but the, the point is also that there, there's so much here there's so much sex here and some of it is uh, as I said about the passion some of it is about it all growing stale after a while and between the characters so he's unflinching in that regard and I think it can be draining to a degree and because after a while we feel rather numb to it all uh, during some key sex scenes because here we go again like uh, like do something you can't do this all the time they certainly uh, they certainly try and they struggle and all of that but uh, yeah i i was happy to watch it uh, side of korean cinema that's certainly not talked of because it doesn't come up in conversation just easily like what about that as an m movie but although I, I i do have to say that as i mentioned i i don't know if it was in this podcast earlier or the previous one i did a talk at university on the emergence of sexual content in korean cinema and i brought up a load of names of films that i assumed nobody in the audience would have heard of including lies yellow hair really not well-known films i thought and in the talk afterwards the number of people that went well actually in yellow hair blah 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 and you just think, wow, these may not be talked about that much, but they're certainly not invisible. People are aware, whether by reputation or enjoyment or whatever. That actually surprised me. So, slight following and uh, enough following for it to, uh, to to make it into like serious film discussion, which is good. Like it doesn't deserve to be buried. So, uh, totally, good, totally. good, good, good. But but it kind of is right now in terms of availability. It was issued at least twice on DVD, uncut anyway. I mean, I think, think you alluded to that it was on DVD, but not always uncut. Was that it? There were originally two versions released on DVD. There was an uncut version and a cut version. The cut version's not even worth... I haven't seen it, but I from people that have said they've seen it, it's it's not worth checking out. I mean, I mean, there must be minutes missing in that one, right? Yeah, m- massively. I mean, they they cut out all the very controversial talk on the tram or the bus or whatever. I thought that was sweet, though. I liked yeah, it. Well, so, so did I. But you know, it's the word. I guess the wording that. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty profane. Yeah. So. They they supposedly cut out all the references to the anal sex, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, things you would expect. 
later there was an uncut version released again on DVD. There were all linked on social networks. And after I did my review of Lies a few years ago, there was a lady who shall remain nameless who likes this sort of stuff who messaged me and said I've just gone on I found this it was released a couple of years ago it's hard to get but I got it on eBay or whatever so even up until four or five years ago it was still available if you searched about whether it is now or not it's another matter yeah at least the yes Asia didn't show it being in stock or in print uh, that sole Korean edition that they list uh, and I had to rely on your copy to watch it because I couldn't get it uh, either so there was no limited edition 2x4 special edition for this uh, back in the day sadly not no no steel box set with its own little baseball bat included (laughs) none of that the Korean special editions were sort of themed that way like my sassy girl had an egg and there's other like your fighter in the wind had this uh, sort of um, nice packaging with uh, the sort of uh, black belt or whatever, I think. Or... You know, I, I'm the guy that went and bought the Vengeance Trilogy box set, even though I already had them all. And it's purple box. When you opened it up, there's a hammer. <laughs> oh, that was so gleeful. There's a hammer. <laughs> you know, I've still, every time something goes wrong with the wall, I think, do I get my old boy hammer right? Um, Pla- it's a plastic stupid thing, isn't it? Or is it uh... No, it's metal. Wow. It's it's metal. I, I doubt it's, I imagine it wouldn't last. I've never hit anybody with it, but it's a metal hammer with a, a rubber handle. Slightly smaller than average size, but it looks like, it feels like a real hammer. It's heavy. Oh, please, someday release Lies as a box set with a baseball bat. Please. Uh, okay, well, uh, we're done with the Lies episode. Uh, so it was a very enlightening discussion and uh, insight. Uh, but next time we're we're going to find something to pair this up with. But I was was reminded myself that the following was on the cards once for an episode of What's Korean Cinema. And it never happened. Uh, we sort of forgot about it. I forgot about it. So it just popped up in my head uh, because I've seen it once. So one of the next two shows will see us uh, go back to the pretty the much thoroughly beloved Memories of Murder by the host and Snowpiercer director Bong Joon-ho. What is it? 2002, 3-4? Something like that for Memories of Murder. 2002, probably. Yeah, so it's uh, been out for a while, but uh, thoroughly beloved. And I always, like the first poster art I saw anyway was of, uh, you know, the two cop characters just smiling, super duper psyched and smiling on the cover. You know, it's uh, Song Kang-ho, isn't it? And uh, who's the other actor in that movie? Park Hay-hill. Right, right. So it was one of those like, what's that movie about? And it's uh, quite an excellent movie that's um, certainly serious and not about these two happy-go-lucky cops or anything. Yeah, totally. But I like that cover art. But uh, in addition to that, Paul will dig into the Korean film archive on uh, YouTube and see what whatever he finds suitable to pair this up with, whether thematically linked or stylistically linked. Like, that's no requisite. So I'll, you always have free reign to uh, to dig up stuff. So, I mean, uh, if you dig up another S&M movie to pair up with The <laughs> Memories of Murder, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I, I don't want to get any more of a reputation than I already have. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll find something. That'll be an interesting search about to, to see what what we can fit. 
Right on. But uh, in the meantime, this has been What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com along with all the other shows on Hong Kong, Japanese, and in this case, Korean cinema and uh, a variety of other choices. We also do website exclusive bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any feedback, like uh, email us if you have seen lies. So, I mean, another opinion out there or multiple opinions is never a bad thing. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com. Follow the buttons on top of our website to our social media, such as facebook twitter you can also get the link to our itunes feed and our website presence on stitcher radio where you can stream us and you can also do so via their application available on the apple app store and google play my home my reviewing home for hong kong and taiwanese movies mainly is sogoodreviews.com and my video hub is sleazykvideo.com the video hub that was saved after daily motion pulled my channel without reason I had my more mature reviews there, meaning the the reviews that are for adult movies, but with no nudity. So they pulled that channel, that sucked, put it up on Vimeo, which seemed to not suck, because you can define if it's sexually suggestive, you can define if it's nudity within. They pulled the channel, but I emailed them. I got a human response, and four days later, I got my channel back. Wow. That never happens on YouTube. That fucking never happens on YouTube because we pulled your channel. Please email this and we will respond. The robot yeah, that no, is. you yeah. won't. Yeah. That's quite something. Yep. So Vimeo, uh, Vimeo, they're super cool. And uh, for a while or maybe for a long while, I, I'll i be a paying customer because you can upload more per week if you need. But because they were so cool to me. I think they deserve that, uh, that actually. So, um, so uh, thank you very much for that. So Sleazy K video is still... Because I was contemplating, like, I'm not going to do this anymore if they're going to pull this shit. Uh, like, do I need to appear on camera just for them to not flag it for copyright infringement, despite me encouraging to buy the damn thing and yeah. highlighting the cinema, you know? But Vimeo, th- their reasoning was that uh, they thought I was uploaded, uploading someone else's work. And when I said, like, no, 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 it's, it's actually me. Oh, okay, cool. I think that's that's quite something. That it is, isn't it? That <laughs> says a lot for them. That you know they've gone up in my. I, I always thought Vimeo was quite cool, but hugely gone up in my estimations. So if you ever want to upload like reviews where you talk of movies like Lies, you can tick sexually suggestive content. Heck, you can even tick nudity if you want to do a review with all the nudity. So uh, it seems it seems safe, you know. And it's a damn thing with Daily Motion too, like. Even if I didn't tag my reviews with anything, like I could have, um, I usually just wrote uh, movie reviews. The suggested videos, more often than not, contained at least two or three full pornographic movies. Why do they get to exist and I don't? <laughs> there, there's the question. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, enough of that. Uh, I'm, I'm on sleazykvideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. Take us out, Paul, with a plug of your site. Again, I'm Paul. You've been listening to me for hours. Hanglecelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hanglecelluloid. I'm on Twitter at hanglecelluloid. If you head to hanglecelluloid, you can find reviews of countless films, some of which are sexually explicit, some of which are so sweetly beautiful that everyone would be happy with them. Go have a look. Enjoy yourself. Hey, can I ask you something? Not that it's the suggestion for the show or anything but i just thought of another movie that i never pursued despite liking the sound of it was in the end a man who was superman any good oh i adore a man who was superman because it sounded like a very uh, movie for me like a very quirky uh, quirky movie but 
probably very sweet too. Very sweet, very quirky. I'm going to give you a major, not spoiler, but at the very end of the film, it tells you that it's based on a true story. And if you know that going into it, it just underlines everything. It's phenomenal. It's got Jun Ji-hun, or Jianna Jun, as she's known in the West, in it. And I forever will be head over heels in love with her, in love with her acting. Wang Jun Min is always great. He was, you've started me now, you see, he was... Uh, End of the show, the, listeners. <laughs> at, there you go, cut him off. Um, he was at the London Korean Film Festival for one of his latest films, Older My Father, last November. And I spent more than six months begging the Korean Cultural Center to include a man who was Superman in their retrospective of it. And they didn't. Really, it came down, it was CJ Entertainment's 20th anniversary and they chose which films he was going to see. So they, they hit the ones that were the big action films they chose. And the KCC had no choice. Whereas if they put a man who was Superman, a gorgeous little film, it would have just, it would have blown the rest into the water. I adore it. I'm going to shut up now. I probably will like it based on that because you you and I are usually in sync in terms of uh, these movies. I'm glad I panned out because I know years ago I heard of it. Like, oh, that sounds really sweet. And, ooh, ninja movies. And, you know, smash cut to 10 years later. <laughs> so there it is. But uh, thank you very much, Paul, for all your insight and uh, your help and all of that. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. And we'll see you for the next uh, duo shows of uh, What's Korean Cinema. But in the meantime, I've been Kenneby. Uh, with me was Paul Quinn. So say bye, buddy. See you later, guys.